Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Middleton, along with Bill Schaefer. A warm welcome to you to the Growing Boulder Radio Program. 60 minutes of hope, inspiration, and possibility. And boy, do we have plenty of all three for you today. Daniel Pink has written yet another thought-provoking bestseller about how and why all of us are now in sales. Something you're going to want to hear, and check these out. We're going to bring you the world's oldest working actress today, along with a doctor who says it only takes 17 days for you to stop aging. You'll hear from nutritionist Dr. Susan Mitchell on foods to fight the flu. All this and more today on Growing Boulder. Well, like it or not, we are all in the sales business. If we're not actively selling a product, we're selling ourselves, our ideas, our vision, our success in everything from getting a date to getting a job to keeping a job. It all depends on our ability to sell. Now, Daniel Pink knows a little something about selling ideas, doesn't he? Boy, does he ever. He's the former chief speechwriter for Vice President Al Gore. He's been named one of the 50 most influential business thinkers in the entire world. You've seen him on TED Talks. He's the author of five books, including the bestsellers Drive and A Whole New Mind. And his new book is every bit as provocative as his previous work. It's called To Sell is Human. Let's find out more as we welcome back to the program, Daniel Pink. Hey, Daniel, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back on the show. Man, we're thrilled to have you back. Always interested to learn what you're thinking about. And let's jump right in because you say that the art of sales has actually changed more in the past 10 years than it did in any previous century. What has triggered these changes and, and what are the biggest ones in your estimation? Well, there, there, there are two big changes. First, um, if you look at what people do on the job, um, they're all, no matter what your job title is, you're spending some portion of it selling. So right now in America, we've got one in nine people in the workforce whose job it is to sell stuff, Winnebago's, uh, timeshares, uh, homemade pies. Uh, so 15 million Americans make their living trying to get someone else to make a purchase. But that's one in nine workers. But the other eight and nine, well, they're in sales too. That is, if you look at what they do day to day on the job, they're spending an enormous amount of time convincing, persuading, cajoling, influencing, trying to get other people to make an exchange. They're asking their boss for a raise. They're trying to get teammates to participate in their project. Their boss is trying to get employees to do things in a different way. So one of the big changes is that, like it or not, we're all in sales now. And the second big change is that sales isn't what it used to be, that, that, it, that the changes in information have made it an entirely different kind of enterprise. It used to be that sellers always had more information than buyers. There was a big information asymmetry advantage for sellers. And as a result, sellers could rip you off. If I know a lot more than you do, if you don't have many choices, if you don't have a way to talk back, I can rip you off. But now that information advantage that sellers used to have has disappeared. It's something closer to information parity. So what we have now is a world where we're all in sales. But, but sales isn't what it used to be. It's much more open, much more transparent. The information uh, advantages of sellers have, has dissipated. And as a result, to, in order to do it effectively, you have to do it in some fundamentally different, uh, actually more human ways. Dan, is it fair to go as far to say that maybe now the buyer even has a bigger advantage? I mean, I'm thinking about like car sales. There are a million websites where you can look up and get the actual price for every single option. You walk into that poor sales guy who's trying to hit you with his, uh, you know, his pitch, and the next thing you know, you're turning him around in knots. Yeah, it's a, I said, car sales is one of the best examples of this. You know, in the old days, you go into a Chevy dealer. Let's say 20 years ago, not even that old, not long ago. 20 years ago, you go into a Chevy dealer. The Chevy dealer is going to know a lot more about cars, certainly a lot more about Chevys than you ever can. So that's a world of buyer beware. When the, when the buy, seller has a lot more information, the buyer's on notice. Well, now you go into a Chevy dealer, and as you say, hey, I know all of the, uh, I know all of the, the, the prices, the going rate for uh, Chevys in in Orlando. I know what all the Orlando car dealers are, are charging. Uh, I've been to some online user groups, so I know the ins and outs of this car and what some of the problems are. Maybe that's going to get me a discount. Uh, you can go in there with the factory invoice price of the automobile. So in a world where buyers have as much, if not more, information than sellers, 
That's a world of seller beware. The sellers are now on notice. They have to be more honest, more transparent, and in order to do it well, you have to draw on some fundamentally human qualities. We're speaking with Daniel Pink, uh, definitely a big brain. In fact, uh, he's been called one of the 50 most influential business thinkers in the world. And, Daniel, before we get to some of the new dynamics of the sales process, some tips, if you will, uh, you know, while we're on the Internet, not only has it become an incredible information machine, uh, but but social media has really provided an opportunity for people to catch salespeople in lies and to spread the good world. So doesn't that aid to the transparency that you mentioned? Precisely. Absolutely right. It's not only that sellers no longer have an information advantage. It's that, that, it's that buyers have as much information and they've got a way to talk back. So, I mean, a great example of this is, uh, is United Airlines. United Airlines spent literally millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, you know, licensing Gershwin songs to make ads about how awesome United is. And some guy who, who United lost his guitar put a video online and gets you know, 20 million views on this video about how awful United is. So w- buyers have a way to talk back with Twitter, with Facebook. And so it's a really important point. You know, it, it, it's, I'm not saying that the low road isn't an option anymore. People, sellers can still take the low road. But if you take the low road, you're going to get found out. I mean, think about, think about like the play like The Music Man, where Harold Hill goes from town to town ripping people off. Well, you know, Harold Hill today could rip somebody off in that first town, but by the time he got to the second town, his face is going to be on Facebook, there's going to be a picture of him on Twitter, and everybody in the second town is going to be waiting for him at the border. Yeah, but the big question is, can the Harold Hills of today still get the Shirley Joneses? Uh, You know what? Um, I'm going to to say no, because I think that the Shirley Joneses of the world are more, uh, more astute. The Marion Librarians of the world are more astute. All right, listen, Harold Hill had a great elevator pitch and that's something that anybody who's ever been in sales focuses on and works on and and you you've got a a a great number of thoughts on how the elevator pitch has really evolved and you've got to have a lot more than that or less as it were sure there's some um what's interesting is that once we get past this notion that we're all in sales you can go to a very rich trove of social science to learn how to do it better and one of the ways to learn how to do it better is to get better at pitching we are pitching all the time. And the social science gives us some clues about how to pitch more effectively. For instance, it turns out we don't pitch enough with questions. That pitching with questions in certain circumstances is extraordinarily effective, perhaps even more effective than pitching with statements. So when the fact, so the basic principle is this, when the facts are on your side, uh, you should pitch with questions. A good example of this is Ronald Reagan in 1980, when he was running against Jimmy Carter. He was saying Jimmy Carter's managing of the economy in the last since 1976 was a, was an, is an abomination um, and instead of making his pitch saying you're worse off than you were when he got elected he asked the question he said are you better off now than you were four years ago hmm. and that was very powerful because questions by their very nature are active they force people to make a response and it's much more effective for people to reach your conclusions on their own, that is, to come up with their own reasons for agreeing with you. And so when the facts are on your side, pitching with questions is extremely effective. You've got some great tips in this book, and we certainly don't have time for all of them. Uh, you know, everybody, every salesman in the world knows about the ABCs, always be closing. But you say <laughs> that's really not a good thing to do these days, and you've got a new definition, a new kind of ABCs. Right. It's the ABCs of what are the qualities that are now most effective in selling in any aspect. And the new ABCs are A, attunement, B, buoyancy, C, clarity. Attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. You have to be attuned, understand someone's perspective. You have to be buoyant because you're dealing with uh, an ocean of rejection. So the social science teaches us some ways to get to stay afloat on that ocean of rejection. And clear, clarity. Uh, we live now with so much information, what's really helpful is not accessing the information, but making sense of it, taking it out of this murky world so it's clearer, more uh, discernible for the people whom you're trying to move. And one of the things I like, Daniel, is a mistake that, that I've made personally here. We, we've got so many great things to offer to sell to people in, in our Boulder Media Group that, uh, you know, many times we confuse them because we give them too many options. And, and you say, actually, if you want to close the deal, give, up, give fewer options. 
Oh, yeah, there's a lot of research showing. I mean, we tend to think, oh, you know, more is better, more is better. But actually there's a, a, just a huge amount of research showing that uh, reducing people's choices can actually make them more likely to buy. So instead of giving people 20 versions of uh, jam or jelly, offer three versions of jam or jelly. Um, this is true. I mean, I, I had this experience myself as a consumer a couple weeks ago. I had to go, unfortunately, I had to buy a tie. And um, so I go to the store, go to the department store to get a tie, and there are gazillions of ties out there. And it's just overwhelming. And so what I needed at that time was someone to say, listen, Dan, here are three ties that will work for you. But instead I was looking into this, this uh, river of, you know, a thousand ties, and it was just overwhelming to me. Dan, can you give us like a, maybe a two- or three-sentence takeaway of maybe the 30,000-foot view of what you've learned about how we sell and how that's changed over the years? Sure. I mean, one thing we've learned is, like it or not, we're all in sales now. The second thing we've learned is that sales isn't what it used to be. It's not sleazy or slimy. And the third thing is that um, there are no natural salespeople, that we, we're all selling in some sense, and we can all get better at it if we understand how to be attuned, how to be buoyant, how to be clear get a little bit better at pitching, at improvising, and of actually understanding the service aspect of, of sales. And I think what's exciting to me about writing this book is that um, I've been able to identify all kinds of tools and tips and exercises to help people get better at these really important aspect of their lives. Well, Dan, we love talking to you because everything you do, every aspect that you study gets to the essence of who we are as people and who we are as a society. And it's always very interesting to get your take. We love the new book. It's called To Sell is Human. Take a look at yourself, and uh, when you read this book, you'll see a, a pure reflection of exactly who we are. The author is Daniel Pink, and we sure appreciate having you on the program. Coming up, leading by example how two top female executives had to change their lifestyle to recapture their health. And speaking of health, Dr. Susan Mitchell on ramping up your immune system to fight the flu and colds. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit GrowingBoulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Hey, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. Our Central Florida Executive Challenge is all about recognizing local civic and corporate executives who lead by example when it comes to healthy lifestyle. And we're talking about men and women like Beverly Marshall Looney. She's a highly connected business executive in a very demanding position who ran into a string of bad luck a few years back. In 2005, I began a series of very, very traumatic injuries. I broke an ankle, I broke a knee, I broke a wrist, I had a blood infection, all within like a four-year period. And that's really when I started to recognize that quality of life really is centered around healthy lifestyles. Last one, nice and slow down. In an effort to recapture her healthy lifestyle, Beverly joined gyms and tried to work out on her own. But it was not until I worked one-on-one -on -one with a trainer that really understood nice. athletic injuries. Bring your weights down to ear level. And also and the commitment to me and to exercise that really turned my life around. Good. Beverly found the spark that she needed when she began working out Good. under the supervision nice. of Angela Brown. She's dependable. She's knowledgeable. She's creative. She is my friend. But for that hour and a half... There's very little friend going on because I, I'm glad to see her come, but I'm just as glad to see her go. She has made tremendous, tremendous progress in a really short amount of time because she's dedicated to the program. Wait for me, wait for me. Beverly is the first to admit that it hasn't been easy, but the results have been well worth a sacrifice. 
She's better able to handle the daily pressures of her high-stakes job. Really work that muscle. And she has enough energy to do all the things she loves, like international travel. Healthy lifestyle means active lifestyles. It means being able to do things that you couldn't do, you can't, when you're sedentary. I have titanium now, I have plates, I have pens, but I'm back in my heels. I'm back in working out, I'm back in doing things that I didn't think were possible. I think the main thing is just do something. Get up and do something. Beverly Marshall Looney has become a passionate advocate for healthy lifestyle and believes her success should encourage anyone of any age and in any condition to get off the couch and get moving. The benefits are well worth it. I want to lie about my age a long time. <laughs> How old are you? Hundred. <laughs> oh, that's a good lie there. Beverly looks great. You know, she did try to work out alone, Bill. As she mentioned, she joined gyms, she took classes. But what worked for her was a personal trainer. Fran Sontag, a daily visit to the health club in her office building, did the trick. Yeah, everybody's different, and it's whatever works for you. She was the publisher of the Orlando Business Journal for more than 16 years, and they asked her to take this new high-tech health screening test, and she thought, why not? It'll make a good story. She never expected it would save her life. Ann Sontag is a big believer that success can be measured one step at a time. She's the publisher of the Orlando Business Journal, one of the most prominent sources of business news in Central Florida. It's easy to understand why when you meet her. I do not believe there's any, anyone on earth more interesting than a business person. And when you hear their stories, you hear the very highs and the very lows. And their stories really touch on every human emotion. And it's to me, it's there is no story more interesting. Anne's own story fits right in. She never thought much about wellness until she was chosen part of a group of 20 area leaders trying out a new cutting-edge heart imaging technology at Florida Hospital. I went thinking that this was going to be fun. I was going to see my friends, and it was just going to be uh, exciting to see this new equipment, and they're going to show me my heart. They said, you will actually see a picture of your heart and I thought well that would be nice a cool thing to do to see my heart um, so I go and uh, in the end of that 20 I was the one who was diagnosed with heart disease it was a wake-up call that changed her life and Anne made it her mission to share that with her employees there is a deadline every single moment in our business and it does create stress and at times extreme stress. Anne shows the treadmill as her release. Soon she was walking four miles a day and without saying a word she discovered that it started making an impression. I don't really dictate that you need to exercise or that you need to eat healthy but I feel like the best thing I can do is lead by example. And everybody in the office knows that sometime during the day, either during first thing in the morning, during my lunchtime, or whenever I can find a break, I am going to be down here at the Citrus Club Athletic Center doing my four-mile walk. She was surprised to discover who else had gotten the same message. You know, all of the folks down here are my buddies. You know, I, I work out with bank presidents, I work out with top executives, um, and we're all in our workout clothes, so those are not the most flattering type clothes. So we've seen each other, you know, sweating and huffing and puffing. Um, and, you know, it's really a bonding thing for us. To recognize other businesses, she decided to include an annual survey in the OBJ. We do a Health This Companies section and event every year. We honor those companies, the small, medium, and large companies, for their fitness. The message is getting out there, but there is still a long way to go. It's the example set by community leaders like Ann Sontag that give others the inspiration to accept the challenge and the resolve to stick with it one step at a time. So I feel like this exercise uh, not only was a lifesaver for me, I think that it went beyond that and I believe is saving the lives of other people now.
You know, that's why she's so interesting, Mark. She believes it's crucial that all executives show their friends and their employees that despite the challenges that we all face, even with limited time and energy, moving just a few minutes a day can make a huge difference. Yeah, you know, Bill, we bring on a lot of authors who have books trying to motivate people. And, you know, as great as their message is, really maybe nothing works more than just seeing someone you know who has made their life better by working out. Did you know one of the most effective ways to fight things like the flu is not to get it in the first place? Well, that's the whole point behind flu shots. But there's another way to ward off the flu, and it can be pretty effective. With more, here's registered dietitian and nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Thanks, Bill. Hi, foodie friends. Did you know that according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, up to 20% of Americans will likely get the flu every year? That's not counting regular colds. So before you read, for a vitamin C supplement or a zinc lozenge to fight off colds and flu, think about the power of food. When you feel achy all over, you're feverish, this is exactly the time that what you eat can help fortify your immune system and ramp down some of your cold and flu symptoms. You know, I'm glad you're talking about this now because with a fever, the last thing anybody feels like doing is jumping in the car and, you know, running down to the supermarket and trying to figure out what to get. But I kind of have a feeling you're about to give us a few ideas, you know, things to add to the shopping list. You bet, Bill. So grab a cup of tea and consider adding these foods to your medicine chest. First of all, blueberries, potatoes, red peppers, and other vitamin C-rich foods. And I bet you didn't think about red peppers or potatoes for vitamin C, but they're a nice source of both vitamin C and potassium. And I prefer the whole food to a vitamin C supplement because you get the benefit of the hydrating water content as well as the other vitamins and minerals and when you don't feel like cooking diced potato can be added to canned soup or a whole potato can be microwaved in about five or six minutes Here's an eating smart tip. You can add some orange juice and a cinnamon stick to your hot tea to boost the benefits. Regular tea, not decaf, contains enough caffeine to give you that slight energy boost. You know, when you feel so bad, you just don't want to lift your head off the pillow. Dr. Susan Mitchell. Coming up next, slowing and even stopping the aging process. Our next guest says all it will take is 17 days. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Growing Boulder Radio here. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. Now, how many times in your life have you decided to make a change, a new diet, a new exercise program, a new class, but you only do it for a few days and then you never do it again? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, most of us just give up too quickly. If we don't experience benefits right off the bat, we just quit. Man, you are right about that, Bill. Now, the 17-day concept seems to understand that we do need positive reinforcement and we really do need it in a hurry. Dr. Mike Marino made a name for himself with the number one best-selling 17-day diet, and his follow-up promises to stop aging in 17 days. Who wouldn't sign up for that? Let's find out more with the author of 17 Days to Stop Aging, Dr. Mike Moreno. Hey, Doc, how are you? Hi, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, we're, we're great, thanks. We appreciate your time. I uh, love what you're doing. Uh, first question, what is it about 17 days? I'm guessing that's not arbitrary. Is that how long it takes to form new habits? You know what? You are 100% on. Uh, you know, for many years it's been established that 21 days is, is that time frame for where our mind starts to kind of do things without really thinking, without putting effort. And uh, 
and the idea really and the concept is to not let our minds and our bodies get lazy. And, and when the 17-day diet came out, that application applied to metabolism. And I'm sure many people out there have gone on diets and right at about two to three weeks, even though they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, the weight stops dropping. And in fact, eventually it starts to go back up. And that's because metabolism and the way your body works and the energy burned to metabolize food it slows down. Your body's very smart. I, I got to tell you, we, we have an amazing machine upon our hands. We just need to take care of it a little bit better. And we tend to give up on things if they take longer than seventeen days to do. You know, it's and, yeah. You know, I, we you know we live in a society. You know, when you look at text messaging and emails, and everything happens, you know, in in an instant, and we want results quickly. Now, you can't really see major weight loss in an instant, but when you, I think you can get most people to stick to things for seventeen days. And, and two to three weeks is kind of about where we get fed up. But if you show big results and, and huge results and people can not only look in the mirror but say to themselves, I feel better, I sleep better, my energy level's better, I, I'm just a different person, and it's only been two and a half weeks, you can get people to work harder and to continue on the program. And that's the whole concept. We, the, you know, this is a lifelong battle, and we, we need you know, discipline, but we also need to kind of reach out and help each other. And uh, you know, we have a problem in this country on so many levels, and when it's now trickling down to the, the younger folks and in, uh, in our children – I, we we have to start working on this, and we have to really really start to to pay attention to this. Well, so give us a give us a preview here. How do we start? What happens like on day one? So you know, day one. Now, contrary to the classic cleansing, which is what you hear with a lot of diets, where you're drinking a bunch of liquid or shakes, or worse yet, even starving yourself. Day one really involves the concept of eliminating a lot of the starchy complex carbs. So we try to get rid of the breads, the pastas, the potatoes. Um, a lot of these things that are, you know, rice, things that are starches. But here's the kicker. We give you an abundance of food, and it's not in a way that's calorie counting. I, I think calorie counting is boring. I think it can be complicated. And quite honestly, no one really wants to do that. So what we try to do is outline what you're going to do. And so to answer your question in day one, you're going to get a lot of food. You're going to get three, four meals a day and a snack. You're going to get an, an abundance of food. And that's one of the things I hear from so many people is that you're going to, you get a lot of food from day one. You never really felt like they were on a diet because cleansing doesn't have to be just not eating or drinking liquid. It's just eliminating certain foods that cause problems and, and giving yourself the foods that can improve your health immediately and give you immediate energy. So you're going to get you know, unlimited amounts of protein and fish and chicken and turkey, poultry, um, vegetables, obviously fruits. There's a big, big push um, with green tea. Green tea is, is a tremendous asset when you're talking about weight loss and energy. Um, lots of water and staying hydrated. Um, you know, a number of things that really are just not really diet food. And, and when people see, gosh, I'm getting four meals a day and this is day one of my diet, and they'll tell me, they'll say, you know, I was, I was kind of shocked because I actually was full. I got plenty of food. Yet when that scale starts moving and, you know, two, three weeks later, they've lost 10, 15, 20 pounds. It, obviously, it depends on where you're starting and how much you need to lose. But the idea is that we don't need to starve ourselves we don't need to just drink water or shakes. We need to return to what we all know and what we were all taught years and years and years ago, but we've forgotten. And we've forgotten the very basic concepts because I think we've gotten tied up in, in the rat race. You know, uh, I think technology is amazing, but I think it has snuck up and bit us in the butt. I think it snuck up and made us an unhealthy environment. And I think, you know, people need to, to realize that we can still embrace technology, but we can still be healthy at the same time. Uh, the book, folks, is called 17 Days to Stop Aging. He is Dr. Mike Marino. And, and Doc, you identify five factors that determine aging. And, and maybe you can share some more of those with us. But, but before you do, you know, let's jump ahead to today 18. And let's say someone buys this book and, and does the 17-day thing. Uh, literally, we've not stopped aging. But, but where are we now? Have we reached a point that's sustainable? Have we broken our bad habits? Are we feeling good enough that we can keep going? Uh, how are we going to feel after day 17? You know, it's, it's yes, yes, and yes. We, we have broken a lot of the foundational bad habits. 
we already are going to have a lot more sort of desire and, and, and energy to push forward because people still, I mean, people will tell you they're feeling better within the first three to four days. So as you go through each 17-day cycle, you focus on a different organ system. Um, foundationally, I feel like the heart, the lungs, and the brain are the three sort of foundational main parts that, that we need to restore those three things because they are really the principal organs that, that everything else and every other organ system revolves around. So as you get to the next 17-day cycle, the first 17 will focus again on the lungs and the heart and the brain. And as we get to the second 17-day cycle, we start to focus on the musculoskeletal system, you know, the aches and pains that plague all of us, our immune system, again, our digestive system, um, and the, the hormone system, the endocrine system. And then as we get to the third cycle, we start to focus on the urinary system for both men and women. That, that becomes a problem as we get older. Um, a big, big thing it focuses on is the sexuality and, and having sexual desire and, and you know, avoiding erectile dysfunction. And rather than take a pill that's going to give you a headache and make you congested and, and, and feel horrible, there are natural ways that you can go about getting to these these. Um, these feelings and getting getting to feel better. So it's really focusing on each organ system and simple steps. It's really not complicated. You know, I tell people all the time, I give talks so often, and I, I sometimes feel silly because I'm not up there telling people things they don't know. I, I'm not teaching uh, quantum physics or calculus. Uh, I'm teaching health 101, things that we probably know when we're 12 and 13 years old. But uh, I'm trying to put a different twist on it and try to make it uh, in a way that people kind of really want to uh, attack the program and, and uh, start feeling better. Yeah, you're trying to take the overwhelming aspect out of it by putting a, a short, finite time to it where it takes the intimidation out and people aren't quite so afraid and they get to have four meals and lots of sex. I mean, you make it sound like it's a great thing. And you know what the bottom line is? It is a great thing. The book is called The 17-Day Plan to Stop Aging. Who wouldn't want to read that? Great visit with the always lively and informative Dr. Mike Moreno. Coming up next, the world's oldest working actress. Where do you get a load of her? This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. My guards did hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Hey everybody, I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton and this is Growing Bolder. Wait till you hear our next guest. I'll give you a hint as to who she is. She's worked with Kirk Douglas, Robert Mitchum, Susan Hayward, Dean Martin. And she's performed with almost every major comedian in the business like Milton Berle, Jack Carter, Jackie Gleason, and Billy Crystal. That's not all, Mark. She's been in dozens of movies like When Harry Met Sally and Something's Gotta Give. And she's been in countless TV shows, including classics, your favorites, like The Andy Griffith Show, Welcome Back, Cotter, Laverne and Shirley. She was even in Seinfeld. And if you think two digits are enough to report her age, you are wrong because Connie Sawyer is 100 years old and has no plans on retiring. Let's welcome the world's oldest working actress, Connie Sawyer. Hi, Connie. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mark. Oh my gosh, what a pleasure to talk to you. How many oh, thank you. How many years have you been acting, Connie? When did you begin? Oh my goodness, way back in nineteen thirty. So I I started in San Francisco. I won an amateur contest and uh it was for KFRC. It was a radio station in San Francisco and uh uh it was a variety show, Al Pearson his gang, and I got a year contract, and and it was wonderful. From there, 
I always had a mentor. There was a woman that helped me put a act together. They didn't. They called them single. I did a single <laughs> in those days. You know, it's not like they do the comedy stores here in Los Angeles. And I, uh, I just went from there on. You know, I worked. Every nightclub around San Francisco and Vaudeville House, and and when I was almost 19, I drove across country and went to New York. Connie, what in theater? Hmm? What what was your act like? Were you? Did you do jokes? It, I was a comedian. Uh, Mama was always interested in show business and. She used to take me on the ferry to San Francisco when I was a kid, and I saw Fanny Bryce, and I said, oh, that's what I want to be. So I used to call myself the poor man's Fanny Bryce. (laughs) Hey, uh, folks, we're talking to the oldest working actress in the world, Connie Sawyer, who is also an active and voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, Did you vote on the Oscars, uh, Connie? Did you watch? Oh, yes, I sure did. I sent my vote in a long time ago. Did you watch all of the nominated films? I watch everything twice. I'm very serious about the academy they they are the most legitimate award thing you know they they always give awards to people whose work is beautiful you know what was your favorite what was your favorite film this year my favorite film was lincoln Mm, yeah you see that's history that's american history (laughs) and it was done so beautifully and then, you know, every part, every part, every small part was uh, directed by that wonderful man, and they were all wonderful actors. And uh, it had to do with freedom. I just, that was my favorite. Connie, tell us. A... I don't know if I'll win. I don't think so. Well, I I think it may win. It may very well. Tell us, what is it like to be 100 years old? You know, it's no different than being 80. It's no different. Everybody's made such a fuss. People are living longer, you know. And I don't feel any different than I did when I was 80. I still work. I go on auditions. The only thing is I don't drive at night anymore. But I got my license. I I took a a test last year on my birthday, which is I was born on the eve of Thanksgiving, nineteen twelve. Wow! Well, you you have over a hundred and thirty acting credits on your resume. But but I read uh, that you at one point said your biggest regret was appearing in the HBO series. Tell Me You Love Me with Jane Alexander. You didn't read the entire script. You were a little surprised when you saw the final (laughs) cut. What was wrong? Oh, well, it was kind of like a porno. (laughs) (laughs) And I was sitting with my daughter and my son-in-law. My daughter said, Mama, you you did a porno. (laughs) Well, look, Connie, you're the oldest person ever to be in one of those now. (laughs) I guess it wasn't, but it was. Uh, well, it it was it was pretty raunchy. <laughs> you, Connie, you know you know what we love about you. It's not just that you're still at it at a hundred, but where it would have been easy to talk about how you miss the way it used to be. You're very with today. You know all the oh, stars. You gotta go with it. Yeah. You gotta go with it. You know, I could sit here and complain about the old days. They're better, but you know, you just gotta go. And if you don't, then get out of the business. Uh, how has the business changed? Uh, are people as well, friendly? And not they don't use as many people, and uh, there's no more theater. Uh, Really, like nightclubs and and vaudeville. So now we have television and movies, and uh, uh, I did a lot of plays downtown here at the Taper. I did five shows. I don't do theater anymore because it's ten shows a week, 
and it's hard. Does the so phone? Does... I just do movies and television and little things like that, you know. Does the phone still ring, Connie? Do you still get good, as many offers as you like? No, but that that's the biz. Nobody does. The men are complaining, the older men. They don't work like they used to. But you do whatever you can, you know. I just did a Two Girls Broke, you know, that's that new comedy mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. And uh, the young girls in it are adorable. They're 22 and 23. And it's a comedy show, and it's a big hit. Well, you are adorable as well. Uh, folks, she is Connie Sawyer, truly a national treasure, the world's oldest living actress at 100. And as she says, ah, it's nothing. I just continue to work because I like it. Connie, thank you so much for your time. Coming up next, how to find happiness and fulfillment in middle age and beyond. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Hi, folks. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. That is Bill Schaefer. And our next guest, well, he's a bit of an eclectic fellow. He studied philosophy at Harvard and then went on to write jokes for Flip Wilson and Lily Tomlin, among others. He's the author of several critically acclaimed best-selling books, including Plato and a Platypus Walk Into a Bar. Wow. You know, and his latest book is a modern-day philosophical exploration of what it means to age authentically. It's called Travels with Epicurus, A Journey to a a Greek island in search of a fulfilled life. Let's get him on the horn and see what he's talking about here. Daniel Klein is with us. How are you, Daniel? I'm fine. How are you today? Uh, you know, you, I, I don't want to look stupid, but I guess I am. Epicurus, I know, was a Greek philosopher, but what was it about him that made him earn title billing in your new book? Well, he, he uh, talked specifically about growing old. He thought it was the pinnacle of life, of all things. And uh, and he thought it was a discrete stage of life, you know, that, that life is divided into different parts, and each one has its virtue, and he thought this one had great virtues. And and that's why I, I, I looked to him for, for advice on how to be old. By the way, I'm old. <laughs> how old are you? I'm 73, going to be 74 pretty soon. That's not old. No. That's not old these days, Daniel. But But, but it is. <laughs> That's the point of my book. For sake of this, whenever anybody says, you know, whenever I say to somebody, "I'm 74. I'm an old guy. I'm a codger," uh, they say, "No, you aren't. You know, 70s the new 50 or 30 or whatever." I say, "No, no. I'm old. I like it." All right. Well, we appreciate the fact that you like it. So you didn't only write about Epicurus. You actually took the trip to Greece. And and hung out there. Uh, is there something about the modern day, you know, Greek lifestyle that that, that still reflects uh, what he believed, uh, you know, ages ago? Yes, it does, uh, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know whether it's in their DNA or whether it's a philosophical or tradition or a cultural thing, but you still see. I mean, I've been visiting Greece uh, a often in this particular island, often since I was a young man, and I have friends there. And I always noticed that old men hung out together, they'd sit in the tavernas, they'd talk, they'd play cards, they'd drink, they'd tell stories. And I thought, yum, yum, that's a great way to be an old man. Instead of what I'm seeing around me here in America is that, uh, you know, my friends say, oh, boy, I'm wearing a testosterone patch, and boy, am I hot, (laughs) and... uh, uh, and I'm learning French for the first time, and I'm thinking, enough, enough of that, you know? 
Yeah, such an interesting guy, Daniel. We we never hear anybody talk like this. I think it's because, you know, in our culture, we're so youth obsessed that, you know, we don't even know what it means to embrace aging in a positive way. What made you look at celebrating age instead of trying to deny it? Well, can I tell you, I mean, it's a little story I tell in the book, and I'll make it short, but it kind of dawned on me when I went to my dentist and he said I had some atrophying jawbone or something and I needed uh, tooth implants and that this would take a year of regularly visits to some surgeon. And and I said, well, what's the alternative of that? And he says, well, you could wear those old-fashioned dentures that your grandmother wore. And I said, well, you know, what's the problem with that? And he says, oh, you... They pop out when you eat toffee, and it gives you kind of a goofy uh, old man smile. And and I thought, what's wrong with that? I am an old man. (laughs) And it just seemed sort of symptomatic of everything I saw around me. You know, everybody my age sort of panicking, wanting to pack stuff in uh, and wanting to stay young. So so let's examine the title just a little bit, because uh, you took off to a Greek island in search of a fulfilled life. In your estimation now, Daniel, what constitutes a fulfilled life? Is there change that has to occur, or do we just have to recognize that we have all we need? Well, that's very much what you just said. It's very much what Epicurus said, you know, to recognize that we have uh, all that we need. Uh, That was a big part of his uh, uh, his philosophy. I mean, one of his aphorisms is it's not what we have, but what, what we enjoy, enjoy that constitutes uh, our abundance. I like that. Make a nice bumper, bumper sticker, you know. <laughs> but uh, I've forgotten the question. You see, I am old. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you answered the question. But here's the next question, because I'm always fascinated by it. It seems like most of the great comedy writers come out of Harvard, so obviously it takes a lot of brains to write good comedy. You are, as Bill noted, a funny guy. We didn't know that when we when we booked you. Uh, have you thought about uh, starting a, a, a career as a, as a comedian at this age and bringing your humor about aging to the rest of us? Uh, it sounds like too much effort. <laughs> Part of my philosophy is to cut down on the effort. <laughs> um, no, but maybe you have an idea that they could roll me out in a wheelchair and I could pop my teeth out. See, you know what you're doing now, Daniel? You're playing the other stereotype, though, and you're you're neither. You're in the middle, and, and I know you're saying the words, well, I'm glad I'm old, I know I'm old, and it's a good place to be, but you're not saying old the way society thinks old. Society thinks the wheelchair, but you're not. You're sharp as a tack. Those wheels are turning. You're... You're poking people to try to get us to re-examine what we mean and and to stop faking that we're younger, but to celebrate the essence of age. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I'm a fraud, but um, <laughs> you, weren't the, you weren't the first to mention this. My wife mentioned it earlier this morning, but um, maybe she said I was a frog. I can't tell. But uh, but the, the point is, I'm trying to make a distinction between old age and old old age. An old, old age is what I see coming up around the corner, you know, where I uh, have to wear diapers and uh, where I can't think straight, where I can't remember where I put anything, and although that's starting a little bit. Uh, you know, it's that decrepitude or whatever the word is. You know, I, that part is coming up, and that part is no fun. It stinks. But there is a part between being in the prime of life and this old, old decrepitude that I think is a discrete stage of life. You know, it's it's a stage of life, and it, 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 it's time-honored. It used to be uh, a, a time when, uh, you know, such people were honored. Uh, they, the people went to them for advice, you know, because their minds still worked, but they had all this experience to draw upon. And we're... Uh, and where you could just return to doing things like one thing I love that the Greeks do is they uh, is they play, you know, old guys. They sit there, they play games. They uh, and when I'm in other parts of Europe, you'll see old guys playing bulls. You know that lawn bowling game. You know that they 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 play and and playing is, uh, believe it or not, something a lot of the ancient philosophers said is one of the heights of life. Plato said that, it, you know, that, that, uh, that that's the highest form of experience, is playing. 
Well, there's a big difference between playing and striving, you know, trying to leave your mark and trying to make an impression and trying to uh, accomplish something. There's a big difference between those two. Folks, we're going to have to leave it there. The book is called Travels with Epicurus. It's all about what it means to age authentically. He is Daniel Klein. And, Daniel, I sure hope we can get you back to continue our conversation because you are a fascinating guy with a very interesting take on aging. Well, folks, we hope that we've helped motivate you even just a little bit to realize that it is never too late to get off the couch and get into life. We did a little bit of everything today, including take a look into the future. And here is the good news about your future. You can, to a large degree, control how much you enjoy it. You have the power to find meaning, to create opportunity. You only have to start growing bolder. What a great message that is, Mark. I mean, it just resounds with everybody. And of course, we're here to help that happen. You can find Growing Boulder not only here on the radio, but there's Growing Boulder TV. Have you watched? GrowingBoulder.com. Have you logged online? And now Growing Boulder Magazine. And if you haven't already, make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter where you get these motivational messages and we just keep you up to date on all things Growing Boulder. Until then, we'll see you next time. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to Growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Oh